Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Indeed it is. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You are welcome to join in if you're just waking up. Welcome to the world today, and you can have that first cup of coffee with us, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800 848 You may be on a cup of tea if you woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're still up or 3. I mean, some people, me, sometimes, I go to sleep, I'm tired as all get out, and two hours later I'm awake again. And still tired as all get out. Anyway, there's so much news. I was on with Derek Hunter yesterday on his syndicated, his big, 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 big syndicated radio show. And um, <laughs> I was nice to Derek. And so we, I'm going to have Derek on, and I'm not going to be nice to him today. His producer, when I called the show, said, Derek says, you better be wearing your flak jacket. So, <clears throat> yeah. Same at you, buddy. Um, anyway. We'll speak with Derek Hunter later on in the show. Rhonda Schrock, America's small caffeinated mom, is going to join us. I asked Rhonda to produce a very short essay for us about truth. And it goes back to the George Santos story that you heard about in the, uh, in the very first, in our news segment at the top of the hour. And I am not, well, I'm sorry. As much as I, you, look, I value honesty and I believe, of course, as we were taught as kids, honesty is the best policy, except when it's not, that honest, and I do believe in honesty, but I just refuse to get upset because a politician lies. I have become so jaded when it comes to that because of the years and years that we have had to deal with politicians lying. This goes back to the Clinton years when we were told that it's not our business what the president does not our business if he lies. The only thing that matters is if he can do the job at hand. And we were bludgeoned with that, all politically speaking, all through the Clinton years. And at the time we said, you know what? You guys on the left are going to wear this like a necklace for the rest of time. Because now you've thrown out the idea of character. Of course, during the, the Bush 43 years, they made a big deal that Bush lied, people died. They were talking about the weapons of mass destruction. And in my view, we never got to the bottom of that one. There, of course, were the Obama years where lies were prevalent again. And Democrats snored. They brought out their crickets and cared nothing about it. 
So now we're supposed to be all upset because George Santos lied when, in fact, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is a documented liar, if you want to use that term. If you want to say that he tells falsehoods, fine. If you think lying is too harsh for the president of the United States, that's fine, too. I understand. But let's go back in Joe Biden's careers, and there have been news story after news story. I remember playing on this show um, a Sam Donaldson story all about Joe Biden's lies, and we're going back 30 years now when he was running for Senate, I believe. There is a lot of COVID news out here today. Here's a headline from Fox News. You can also find the story at the Daily Mail and in other sources this morning. The CDC has identified possible safety concerns for certain people receiving COVID vaccines. The the CDC says the safety signal wasn't seen in the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. They say a preliminary COVID-19 vaccine safety signal has been identified. It is investigating whether the bivalent Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine creates an increased risk of stroke in people 65 and over. Hmm, really? And, of course, you know, there have been warnings about Younger people and what can happen with younger people with certain medications. Also, the Pentagon is now looking at, and we can get into this a little bit later, the Pentagon, our Pentagon, is now looking at reinstating back pay or coming up with back pay for those people that were let go, terminated, fired, kicked out, of our military because they go, wouldn't go along with this vaccine mandate that was imposed on them. And to me, that is an admission that they knew they were wrong. They know they have known all along that this mandate would most likely be overturned. You can find that story in Politico, among other places today. Pentagon mulls, mulls, they're mulling it. Back pay for troops kicked out over COVID vaccine. They're considering providing back pay to former service members discharged for refusing to get the vaccine now that the mandate has been repealed. The Defense Department of the United States of America rescinded the mandate in a memo from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Tuesday after Lawmakers directed the Pentagon to do so in the annual defense policy bill that passed into law. They had already stopped discharging troops who had refused the vaccine. Austin's memo opened the door to reinstating troops who believed they were wrongfully let go, stipulating that service members and veterans may apply to, quote-unquote, correct their records. 
While the military has not yet made a decision on providing back pay, for the first time that they were discharged, a spokesman, spokesperson said the department is looking into it. To me, that's just an admission. They know they were wrong. I hope, and I am still hopeful, that somewhere down the line there will be such a flood of lawsuits and definitive judgment that people were mistreated. I would hope that that would extend to New York and that all those people that were kicked out because of this unfair mandate put in place by Bill de Blasio and kept in place by this current Mayor Adams, who, you know, when I listen to Sid talk about Mayor Adams, I I love you, Sid. I'm not an Adams supporter at all. I think that man is wrecking this city. He's doing nothing. You look at the budget he just came out with. Police spending is flat in the new budget. New York has had soaring crime now for how long? But see, if you, if you, I guess if you live in a certain class in New York, you're immune to all of the things that this mayor has done. You don't see them on your way to the Ranger games or to, uh, or to, you know, dinner at these flashy restaurants with the mayor. You don't see all that stuff. It's only the little people that see how badly this city is being mismanaged under Mayor Adams' leadership. The schools are still failing. There has been no reform of the horror that exists in many New York City schools where children are leaving without a decent education. The tax structure in New York is wrong. It is driving out people. It is driving out businesses. This budget, Adam says he only wants to spend, this is the supposedly frugal budget, over $102 billion. That's not a lot of money. Back to this COVID business. There's a story in the center square today. The NIH spends millions on equity LGBTQ issues instead of researching cures. Hmm. Government priorities. Congress' recent $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill increased the budget for medical research funding at the NIH to nearly $50 billion. $50 billion in 2023 alone. A closer look at the agency reveals the NIH is increasingly spending its time and its funds on equity and LGBTQ issues, as well as systematic racism and inequities. This is what happens when you get woke government. Now, they're tasked with one thing, health. Well, it's not one. It includes many. But they're supposed to be our cutting edge when it comes to keeping the United States abreast of new cures for diseases that inflict all of us, and not just us. What happens at the NIH often may get started there, but it's adopted worldwide if they're doing their jobs. And I have a lot of admiration for the NIH. I've talked about it before. 
I was, full disclosure, treated at the NIH some years ago. I'm a fan. I had health care there like I would get nowhere else. But this is off mission, but this has become the the political issue that has swept across many facets of our government. They're not focused on their core responsibilities. They're focused on the politics. That story today at Center Square, if you want to look at it, NIH spends millions on equity, LGBTQ issues, instead of research and cures, which is what they are supposed to be doing. All politics, all the time. I'm going to see if we can reach Derek when we get back from the break. I got a whole stack of stuff I want to talk about with Derek this morning. Derek Hunter, syndicated radio host, columnist with Town Hall. The very last new guest host that was introduced on the Rush Limbaugh show. Author. A man who has held probably more blue-collar jobs than many of us in our lifetimes. An interesting guy. He has a way with words like nobody else. Oh, and he's a Trump hater. Um, so, yeah, we'll try to reach Derek Country when we get back. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, here with you. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. ELO takes us in. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77. It is Saturday morning. It is our Saturday morning radio. Extravaganza Stevie Wonder brings us back in from the Talking Book album. I wish we had the whole thing. But we don't. But this is the song that was the first single off of that album, Superstition. And the reason I wanted the whole Talking Book album was that throughout, the guitarist Jeff Beck, who passed away this week, did a lot of the work on the album. He was the guitarist that Stevie used for this album. And this song, I think, caused a rift between Stevie and, yeah, Jeff Beck. The story is that Stevie wrote this song for Jeff. Jeff, he wrote it for Jeff. Jeff was going to use it on his album. And the execs at Motown heard the record and demanded that Stevie put it on his own record. They knew it was going to be a smash. And, of course, it was. So, apparently... Now, I don't know whether this is true. This has been a long reported story that that Jeff Beck was quite upset over it. But anyway, Jeff Beck was just is an amazing musician, and he passed away this week. One of two musicians, uh, Bachman, from Bachman Turner Overdrive, the drummer, passed away as well this week. And I want to give a shout-out to Ed Shea 
who did a lot of the uh, session work with Tom Bell. He sent me a video I had never seen of Tom Bell doing a one-man concert. That was amazing. All right, Derek Hunter is with a syndicated radio personality and host, columnist, author, podcaster. He's a one-man media industry, Derek Hunter. Welcome, Derek. James Golden. Wait a second. So you're sitting there and you're telling me, and that's an interesting history lesson. I didn't know that uh, one of the things about Jeff Beck is he's not a singer. And he's a musician's musician that he pops up everywhere. So it's interesting to know that he worked with Stevie Wonder. But you're telling me that a, a rich radio guy such as yourself couldn't drop 10 bucks on iTunes to buy that whole Stevie Wonder album. We can't there, play like, it I, off of iTunes. I got. Okay. I have the album. Well, I've had that album since the 1970s. Go to eBay and, and pick up a vinyl copy. Get the 8-track, whatever it is. I have a uh, vinyl copy. Well, then what the hell do you mean? Just digitize it. Do something, man. Okay. There's I. There's software. You can go to iTunes and and uh, or not iTunes. You can go to YouTube and you can borrow the audio pretty easily. It's freeware. You're rich. Yeah, rich but we can't. Guy. Look, like, look, look. rolling in okay. millions of dollars. This is radio this... money and your book money and your. Oh, hello. Man, deep in like mansions and chicks and everything. You can find. I don't have mansions. Around. I don't have yeah, chicks. What you say? Oh, okay, yeah, right. Sure, sure, sure. The Digital okay. Millennial Copyright Act. If we play something on this station, we have to, it has to be able to be coded so that we can pay the artist. We're not like those other companies that cheat the artist. We do things mm-hmm. right here. So it has to go through a process to get in our library so that we can make sure the artists get remunerated for it. It's a legal mm-hmm. thing. So that's the only reason. I've had I've had more vinyl copies of 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 this record than you've ever. In fact, I'm surprised you even know what, what vinyl is, what youngster. Perhaps more vinyl. Co- you you John Entwistle in your life, where you use them as skeet just for fun. Like how do you how many vinyl copies of a record do you need? Treat them well; it'll last a lifetime. Treat them more, well; it will last a lifetime. More than one of some of the big hits, because by the way, there was more than one version of the record. The first issue of the record had the horns, were minus the horns, on Sunshine of My Life. If you went to the reissues of the records after he retracted it and they added it in for the single, it's a different mix. So I have more than one copy. So you'd have to actually understand the music, Derek. Uh, you need to do a music podcast, but I... I do. Let me ask you this, because I, I, uh, I asked some questions of my audience this week. About Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck is obviously a name that you, you, I've heard of, but I wasn't entirely sure why he was famous. And I asked this question, and uh, I got some people agreeing with me, some people not agreeing with me, but I got a lot of interesting answers. A great guitarist. What makes a great guitarist? Because it, everything that Jeff Beck did, and you and I have argued actually about this before. When I say that uh, that Jimi Hendrix is overrated, and I know, send all his mail to me. Idiot. But it, 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 Jimi Hendrix, Jeff Beck, whatever they are, thought of as guitar gods, not because of what they could do, but because they did it first. Tell me I'm wrong because if somebody played guitar, you're wrong. It's for both. Twenty years. They You're could wrong. Be- it's both. 
Now, in the case of Jimi Hendrix, here's what you don't realize, and how dare you say such a thing. Hendrix, Hendrix, by the way, all of the effects that we still hear today, that guitar players use all kind of effects boxes to get. Hendrix didn't use effects boxes. What Hendrix did, because of his understanding not only of the end of the instrument, but of amplification, what he would do is turn and face the amps and the distortion that people now pay and use in boxes, all the stuff that he did, he did naturally. He created it from his knowledge of how to use his instrument and how to use it with amplification. Nobody okay, else had okay, done okay, that before. People can now, do that. His, by the way, I believe the first time his the feedback was used playing, on a record was I Feel Fine by the Beatles. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. But, you're wrong. But, his playing, but. you're wrong. His playing was okay. exceptional. And so it's some of the... But there exceptional. are other exceptional players. I don't, I don't deny it, James. I'm just saying that if somebody has been playing guitar for 20 years, they could probably do the same thing. No. No, they can't. Yeah. It's like it's like saying anybody that does anybody that talks on radio for 20 years, anybody could do the same thing. No, it's not true. There are people in every industry that are the best at what they do. For the era that Jimi Hendrix played, not only was he the best of that era, but he set the stage for the way that modern guitarists are still influenced. It's like if you look, this is I don't want to get so you're doing influence and in, in that he was first. I agree with you that he was first, but he was. But I'm telling you, if you if you took a Jeff Beck song, whatever Jeff Beck guitar solo, and you just isolated it, and then you got some guy who's played in a band for 15, 10, 15 years, loves the guitar, lives for the guitar, just never made it big, but he's just an excellent guitar player. And you just took those and you said, hey, here's this Jeff Beck thing. I want you to copy it. I don't want you to give me your interpretation of it. I want you to copy it. I bet you he could. What you fail to realize, because you're not a musician, yeah. Is that when you, for instance, and I'm not trying to snap on you, I'm just being real. For instance, I can listen to a record and you hear a Coltrane record. You know mm-hmm. instantly it's Coltrane if you're trained, if, if you're well trained. You know why? Because he has his own unique tone that came. It's like his own voice. It's like you have a voice and people recognize your voice. But can't As a that music, be would you please let me finish? No, it cannot be imitated. It is unique to you, your own voice. And real great musicians have developed their own voice on the instrument. Now, yeah, you can get people that can play the notes, but they will never pay with, play with the inflection, with the tone, and with the, the there's something about it that that musician has. And I guarantee you, there are a lot of great guitarists out here. You're not kidding about that. One of my favorites is Terry Kath from Chicago, who died early. What an amazing guitarist he was. Jeff Beck was another one. Jeff Beck could play anything. When you hear the way that he played behind Stevie on Talking Book and Music in My Mind, then you, you hear this. And this is a guy, by the way, that could have been really famous. You know, he played with Mick Jagger and the Stones, but he didn't go touring with them, and he didn't join the group. He decided to walk his own path and not do it. He's played with so many people that are so iconic in the industry, but he always did his own thing. He And, and it's kind of like they call him like a loner. He didn't, he, 
he followed his own heartbeat on music. And yeah, the insider musicians knew who he was. Now, let me just go back in one thing. I didn't I wanted to talk politics with you, but you want to talk music, we'll talk music. If you listen, if you know bass, the bass at all, you can mm-hmm. listen to one guy, one bass player who changed everything as far as contemporary bass, Jocko Pistorius. Up until the time Jocko came, bass players weren't using harmonics the way that he did. He had his own unique sound, too. He had his own unique tone. He had technical ability. He was fast as all get out. But he understood the in, the instrument and was able to communicate with it like no other electric bassist before him. And as a result, I just turned um, a, a 21-year-old kid who's a bass player on. He didn't really, had not really listened to Jocko. I sat him down, made him listen to Jocko, and blew him away. And so the influences, and, and he, some of the influences that he has played by come from these great musicians. There's only you're, one Beethoven. You're, you're making, there's only you're one. The case. You're making the case. There's for only. First. For first. I agree. Innovation first, is amazing best. and great. But first, best, whatever. Is it best because they're first? Because what they do can be emulated. Maybe you can't reach the tone, but I promise you, if I could get a, 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 a uh, an isolated track of any musician playing whatever instrument it is, and I found somebody who's really an excellent musician at that instrument Diego. and said, do it, do it the exact same way. Nine times out of ten, you wouldn't, aside from a coin flip, you know, 50-50 chance, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Diego, it's, you're a it's different if you say, Hold give on. spin on it. Give Diego on is a, our own Diego is a musician. In fact, he has a great album. We play some of his songs. Diego, you're listening to this. Weigh in with this person, please. First of all, Derek, I have a lot of respect for you. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I do this very fresh. But I know what's coming right after you hear that. <laughs> but, um, you were wrong. Um, see, playing guitar is, um, like, like James said, it's like, like, like having a voice. Yeah. Uh, someone did it first. Mm-hmm. But when someone did it, for, but but the thing about music is that it's revolutionary. You got Elvis. He broke the barrier between, you know, um, rock and roll was in the 50s, quote unquote, black music. He broke that barrier. The Beatles broke the barrier of uh, coming to U.S., the, the first foreign band coming to U.S., making it big in the U.S., and a lot of other bands. So in terms of in my point of view in terms of music like whoever does it first is the revolutionary is who everyone yes imitates you know i'm not denying that i'm just no, saying I know. that yeah. i bet you one of the guys you played with could play while my guitar gently weeps oh yeah um, and you'd think oh wow that's just like clapton did it in the studio no it's the not just album. like clapton they're playing a the clapton could. song but they will never be able to play it just like clapton I bet if you tell them, hey, man, I want you to be indistinguishable. I want to fool somebody. And you did a game show where you had the original track and then just some guy messing around on guitar knew how to play. To the untrained ear like yours, maybe. To the untrained ear like yours, maybe. I'll have have dog ears. If a dog whistle goes off, are you, like, rolling around in pain on the floor? I get it that some people do this, but I still suspect that, you might get 60%. I'll give you up to 60%. Right. Uh, 60%. Well, see, the thing that there are many different types of guitarists. Yes, you, you mentioned the, the guitarist that's played 
for 20 years could imitate it. However, thank you. Someone, however, someone who who can do that may not have perfected their own voice because they're busy imitating someone else. A a a real good. I'm I'm saying real in a very like, um, not like don't take me serious way, but um, like to me, a real guitarist focuses more on finding his own tone than Thank imitating you. someone else. We have a well, lot of musicians in this. Hold on. We got to go to a break, Dan. We got to go to a break. We got to go to a break. But we have a lot of, look, you have a lot of musicians in this audience. We I would are. love for some of you musicians to please weigh in and please help educate. This man, Derek, knows more about about politics than most of us will ever know. He is an amazing writer. See, I'm praising him this week. Be a really a, good, that would be a really good game show, by the way. You know it really would. would. I, I would like I'm that. I'm serious. That would be a very Name interesting game. Yeah. Is it Memorex? You have, well, you have the guy, you have the actual guitarist come in. You know, he's one of the, one of the whatever performers. And then you have like two other imitators and the, the, you have to try to pick that apart. That'd be, that'd be a fantastic That'd be game an show. awesome show. I would watch that show. We could do, do it with it. vocalists too and just have them, mm-hmm. you like, they already do the mask, but we could do it with vocalists too. Yeah, you get the clearances. It costs a fortune, but let's do it. You can even just play the record because there's far too many people who are dead. And we could call it Derek's Folly. (laughs) As long as the check clears, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) WABC Talk Radio 77. Okay, we were going to do politics, but we're going to start off with music and work our way to the politics. Derek Hunter is with us, a man who knows more than most of us ever will about politics and all that stuff, but who knows absolutely nothing about music. We'll be... (laughs) We'll be back with you. (laughs) We'll be back with you in a moment. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. call. Coming right back. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. The one and only left-handed guitar of Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah, baby. Derek Hunter is with us, and we have, Derek, a lot of people want to weigh in. I'm sure they do. We're going to start with. History's greatest. 
We are going to start with Pamela in central New Jersey. You're on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza with James Golden, Boston, and Derek Hunter, and Diego, and Scott, and the whole crew. Uh, Each guitarist has a skill level and an artistry level, a style. And each piece they interpret in their own style. Oh, can you try to copy it? Sure, but you cannot be the originator of it. And you can hear certain backgrounds. That's, um, different, that's different. I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm giving them full faith and credit for being first. They're, they're, they're Neil Armstrongs of guitar playing. But I'm saying that a lot of, if not most or all, of what they do ultimately can be directly copied. Everybody walks on the moon in their own way. <laughs> okay, okay, Sting. Giant steps are what you take walking on the moon. But giant steps, John also, Coltrane. Wait, wait, wait! Stop right there! Stop right there! Giant steps. You just said it, John Coltrane. I was quoting the police song, but okay. Giant steps is a song that actually changed the direction of music. We have giant steps in the library. I know we have it. We should have it because I asked for it to be in there. John Coltrane. John Coltrane, when you hear Coltrane, nobody plays like Coltrane. Just a sample of it. Sorry, folks, for those of you not jazzaholics. Hold on. Don't interrupt Coltrane. Now, this record changed the game. Coltrane's improvisation is often imitated, will never be duplicated by anybody. No one will ever play with John Coltrane's tone, with his improvisational skill. Nobody. He was or unique. that many chemicals going coursing through his veins at the same time. Look, I can see why it, uh, it's music to send steak back to. All right, this is this is overcooked. That's what you hear. It's the, in a good steakhouse. You'll hear that. And I'm just saying this, by the way, just to get your blood pressure up. So don't actually get your blood pressure up, Jim. Just making fun of jazz, mostly because it sucks. Let's go to uh, <laughs> Steve in Jersey City. Steve, uh, okay. welcome. <laughs> Steve, That's okay. I, I think jazz, I think jazz thinks Derek sucks. Um, I dated jazz briefly in college, so jazz knows. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, You stole my, you almost, you stole my thunder. Okay, I'm a bassist in Jersey City. I've worked with, oh my God, Debbie Gibson, Laura Branigan, Regina Bell, Shirley Alston Reeves, uh, Tommy J, you name it. I've worked with them. I worked with the the Brigatti brothers, Dave and Eddie. I've got an extensive resume. I can copy anything note for note. I can imitate, I cannot duplicate, Derek. You see, it starts with a D, just like the beginning of your name. You can't, you can't, you can't duplicate. Now, if I if I said I to you, I, 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 I want to 
I want to do the uh, cover of Higher Ground. This we're on this TV Wonder Kick. I want to do the cover of Higher Ground that the Red Hot Chili Peppers did. But I can't afford flea prices. You could. You're telling me there's no way you could uh, duplicate what Flea did on that record. I can imitate, but not duplicate his feel. He has the X factor. Okay, that's the reason why there are so many great musicians out there that will never be famous because they have certain. They're lacking certain X factors that the great ones have. I mean, you can you cannot duplicate somebody like, um, uh, who am I thinking? Larry Graham. You cannot duplicate oh. him. I'm sorry. You cannot duplicate him. You great cannot duplicate example. Louis, you cannot duplicate Lewis Johnson. I'm sorry. Great um, example. I, I can do. I can do like Lee. You're having dinner with two foodies, where you're like having an orgasm with every single bite. Oh, this is so good. And I'm just sitting here going, I'm hungry, and I got like one bite of, of salad in front of me. What? Why are we paying $800 for this crap? And you guys are going, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. <sighs> okay. I think I still believe I'm right because I think that you could play You can't duplicate the X Factor. You can't run around the studio with a tube sock on your, your manhood. You wouldn't want to do that like Flea did. But I bet you you could play a song where it would be indistinguishable. I swear to God, oh, James, I got a headache so bad I need an aspirin the size of a hockey puck with this guy. I'm feeling you, Steve. I know. It's like, it's like, yeah. Steve, great resume, Steve. I hope you call Thank us you back and, and stay in touch with us. I love meeting musicians. You have an amazing career. You must be really happy with things. There's a big, there's a big, um, in Jersey, we have a big group of all bassists. We all know each other. We all do a lot of work together. And, uh, but like I said, I could do well, getting really note to note. Steve about bass. About bass. Be is Paul McCartney okay. good? Is Paul McCartney a good he's bass good. player? He is one of the greatest pocket groove bassists. He plays the bass line flawlessly. He's beautiful. Paul McCartney. You know who's you know who made you know who's made fun of a lot? Michael Anthony Van Halen. The guy mm-hmm. is rock solid. He holds he has to be because Eddie was all over the place and so was Alex. He had to be. See, a lot of people goof on simple basis, but they're simple because they have to be simple. You know, if they're not simple, they're going to sound like cream. Uh, I love cream, but cream, Jack Bruce was all over the place, and so was Eric. And it was, it, it, so was Ginger. As brilliant as it was, it's, as crazy and chaotic as it was, it still worked. But they all had that X factor. Thank you, Steve. Stay in touch with us. Very quickly before we have to go to a break, let's go to Doug in New Jersey. Doug, welcome. Your turn. Hey, um, Snurdly. Yes. I always wanted to talk to you. I loved uh, listening to Rush Limbaugh for many, 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 many years. And uh, God bless his soul. Um, I I uh, I just wanted to weigh in on the Jeff Beck uh, factor. Um, nobody, nobody, nobody can can duplicate Jeff Beck. Thank you. Jeff Beck. Can you play the opening to People Get Ready by Rod Stewart with Jeff? I bet you that there are at least 100,000 people listening who could play that. He pulled notes, and, and it was unbelievable. Like, Jeff Beck, I, I, I was turned on to him in the, in the late 80s, and uh, he was just incredible. Doug, so great to hear from you. We got to go to a break. Thank you. 
More calls pouring in. We're going to take them, and uh, we're going to actually get to some politics, too. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Um Yeah, Derek Hunter is with us, non-musician Derek Hunter, <laughs> who weighs in like he knows something about music. We'll be right back after this. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. James Golden, a.k.a. Sterling, with you here Saturday morning. Have that second cup of coffee with us, too. Just as I thought it was going all right, I found out I'm wrong when I thought it was right. It's always the same. <clears throat> Boy, you sure did pick this one for Derek. Uh... Derek Hunter is here with us, syndicated radio host, author, podcaster, columnist, guest World host. class jewel thief. <laughs> Gina in Brooklyn, you're on WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you, Gina? He's right. Jewel Thief is correct because he's trying to steal the expertise and the perfection of a true listener. He Ooh. lacks emotional intelligence, this man. He doesn't understand that these great performers are putting their DNA into their touch and their tone. Oh, and he, he he gave me a headache, too. <laughs> you can do all of these things and you can have all of these things. And they can be duplicated. They can be replicated. The first bar I ever went to was I was 18 years old. It was a place called Ashley's on the Strip on Telegraph Road in Detroit. It was known for basically they charge you $5 cover or $10 if you were underage. And that was their insurance policy. And they'd serve you if you could walk up to the bar and get it. We walked in there. We might have had some some, uh, Mad Dog 2020 at a parking lot in the Bennigan's before we got there. I still have the bottle, by the way. I kept it. And we, my friend John and I walked in. for the. We were the first time we were really, really, really drunk. And we pay our 10 bucks. We're confused. We're not really sure if it's a rumor that you can get into this place or if it's reality. And we walk in, and I hear Elvis. I hear El- it's Elvis. It's not just, you know, somebody doing suspicious minds. I hear Elvis. And I'm thinking, I must be really, really drunk. But I turn toward the stage, and there is an Elvis impersonator. He nailed it. He was he looked like young Elvis, but in fat Elvis's body. He had the hair, everything. And he was, of course, he for some reason, he decided to wear a leather vest with no shirt, which don't just don't do that anybody. But um, it was like, if you didn't know any better, you'd think, oh, my God. Elvis really isn't dead. It it can be imitated. That doesn't mean it's as good. Doesn't mean it's better. I'm just saying, if you play a progression of five notes, it doesn't matter who's playing the progression of five notes. Everybody can play the progression of five notes the exact same way. Some everybody can play it differently too. But I'm saying, if you tell any a guitarist play this exactly this way they could do it. Whereas Derek, if you tell somebody you were fat and go hit a curveball over the fence and left you field. already gave us all we need to know. You were drunk. Diego. <laughs> I'll just say this. Um, about that. Uh, fun facts. 
Steely Dan would, in fact, uh, audition up to 70 guitarists for the records because they wanted exactly what they wanted. And all 70 would play exactly the same progression, the same solo, whatever they wanted, but they wanted it a particular way to the millisecond, to the milli, to the millinote, to the cent, every single note. So yes, it can be imitated, but there are still infinite, infinite ways five notes can be played depending on the person, depending on the style. That's all I got to say. We, we need Tommy to find in Brooklyn. To cry this game show. Tommy, idea. thank you for your call, Gina. Great call, Tommy. Morning, Bob. Yeah, good morning. We got a line going somewhere. There you are, Tommy. Up next. I'm not a musician. I'm, I'm a drummer. I, I played in a rock and roll band in high school, and it never went anywhere. But uh can't be a musician if you're a drummer, right? But I loved music, and I felt something while I was playing. And even when I was, even more when I was listening, I will say that. And when I was stationed in Germany, um, I, uh, I I went to this this cover band of Pink Floyd. They say it was one of the best ones. And the guy told me, we stand on a mezzanine, listen. He said, just close your eyes. I closed my eyes, and I was there. And it was the most amazing cover band in the world, but they weren't. I, I guess they could duplicate, you know, imitate the music, whatever, but you can't completely do it. duplicate it. You can't imitate it. Whatever they say, it was great. And they were fantastic. And I, I listened to the whole concert, not not blindfolded on a mezzanine, but it was a really great day. And I really learned something about myself that day, that music is felt from the inside. So I guess there's, you know, you can get close. I don't know if you can get it all, but who knows? Anyway. Thank you, Tommy. We appreciate Tommy, you, babe. Tommy gets it. Tommy knows what I'm saying. I'm trying to talk like Tom. But, no, he, that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not, I saw Beatlemania, so I've seen the Beatles. It's not that. But it, you can, as an individual instrument, you can play the exact same thing if you know what you're doing. If a skilled musician on that instrument could play cross-town traffic. Is it like you're shooting smack with Jimmy in in London? No, but it's why does he have to say things like that? Why do I have to say things like that <laughs> to give it context? Is he <laughs> shooting smack with Jimmy in London? No, he's probably not. Bob in Eden Town, your turn with Derek Hunter. It's absolutely ridiculous to say that, for example, an artist every stroke of you know, their brush can be duplicated. I'm a guitar player, and my original music is circulating in over 60 countries. One of my favorite guitar players was Jeff Beck, and absolutely nobody could duplicate him guitar. Nobody, and, and his style, the every every um, every pick, every note that he played, it can be imitated, but it can't be duplicated. Wow. And thank, wow. You tell, you just told us your music is played in over 60 countries. Tell us who you are. Tell us your music. Uh, my name is Bob Garafa and, um, my brother Freddie and I, we, ha we actually had a number one song in, uh, in Billboard magazine years ago during a time when the internet wasn't even recognized. It was a song called New Day. Um, our drummer had passed away and I rest in peace. His name was Frank Fitzgerald. We met, um, REM's producer down in Washington. And he told us that basically, you know, all you need to know about the music business, he got all those guys started, you know, REM, Counting Crows and the Smithereens and then the music, all the, all the music people just stole what he did and just took over and left him, you know, dangling. But as far as like guitar players, Jeff Beck, 
for example, played with um, guys like Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page. Um, Jimmy Page referred to Jeff Beck as the wizard because of his style, every just everything that he did, the inflections. Um, I, I never realized after learning basically every riff that Jeff Beck ever played that he was more of a Chet Atkins um, finger-picking lead guitar player, not a flat picker, more like um, Jimmy Page or Eric Clapton were flat pickers. Chet Atkins was a kind of like a finger picker, uh, combination pick finger picker. But the um, phenomenal thing about Jeff Beck is, is um, his inflection and his style and everything he did. Um, you know, going down to the, uh, you know, the the hammer-ons, the just a beautiful um, style that he had and the the tone. I and, have and, no um, doubt, no doubt whatsoever that Jeff Beck was one of the all-time great guitarists and innovator and did a lot of things first. But like quoting Jimmy, what are they going to say? He played with them, they're friends, but it, is Jimmy Page going to go, yeah, but he, uh, he sucked on guitar. They're never going to, of course they talk nice about each other. I'm not saying you can imitate it. great. Right, you can imitate it. That's what I'm saying. And I don't know that if you said, here, play this, and then we got an isolated Jeff Beck track. I, mean, I hate talking about him as he just passed. It sounds like I'm insulting him, but I'm not. Yes, it does. Uh, I, I know it does, but I just The same way you I'm insult Carrie Lake, the same way you insult Trump, the oh, same way you insult everybody. But anyway, okay. Bob, Bob, you are a man that knows music. I am so happy that you're in this audience, and thank you for adding your contribution here. And I got it, and I'm sure many of us got it. Thank you, Bob. Amazing. God bless you, thank you. God bless you too. Phil in New Jersey. Hey, good morning. I, I just wanted to bring another name to your attention as one of the great guitarists, Roy Buchanan. Uh, true story, when I was at Polydor, the Stones wanted We had an album. Uh, put out on Roy, and uh, uh, the word got back to us and everything. That, uh, I didn't know him that well, and the Stones offered him a full partnership to be their uh, guitarist at one time. True yep. story. And, and another story is, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break it to you 50 years later. I had John Mayle in Philadelphia on Polydor with Jazz Blues Fusion. Keith Hartley and the rest of Blues Mitchell and all those guys were playing with him at the Spectrum. We're staying in the hotel. I had an interview set up with him at WMMR, NEW's sister station. He didn't want to do the interview, so I said to him, what am I going to do? I'm doing promotion. I said, Keith Hartley, you're doing John Mayo. He did the interview for me in place of John Mayo, and no one ever knew the difference. I never told Michael Pearson, but today, maybe he'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, thank you. Phil was with Polly. You can Great imitate label. the music, and you can intimidate Im- imitate the voice. And that's it. Derek Hunter, we never got to the politics. I'll take care of no. that. <laughs> no, you do. You got it. See, but I, I got your blood flowing. You don't even need coffee today. I don't drink coffee. I just uh, tick off you, and I'm ready to go on a Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday, Derek. And thanks for having me on the show yesterday. It was awesome. Always a pleasure. Thanks, James. Derek Hunter, ladies and gentlemen, Ronda Schrock's coming up later. Your call. Stay there if you're on hold. And we're going to do some politics. We'll mix in your calls with music, and we'll play some music, and we'll just have a good Saturday together. You and I, both Snurley's Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza continues right after this.
It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. WABC Talk Radio 77, we are indeed the crown jewel of American radio. I am James Golden, Bo Snerdly with you here. If you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC. We did not get to the political world with Derek. We instead got detoured, and I'm glad we did. This is a great discussion. And Scott came up with an amazing, Derek and Scott and Diego, all of us. I love this idea of a show, trying to distinguish the real musicians from the uh, impost- the imitators. I, now, I think you could get a couple seasons out of it. Me too. Now, you were going nuts, Scott, listening to the newscast at the top of the hour. That um, When am I not? Yeah, that uh, this 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 congressman Hank, what's his name, out of Georgia, um, says that the documents that were found in Joe Biden's garage, in the bathhouse, did I say bathhouse, beach house, um, all that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that makes your mind go some places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the documents were planted. Is he? Hey, good gnome. This story that 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 uh, can I hope he has. Do you have the sound bite again, Noam? Can I you do. Play, can you play that for us, yeah, please? Sure. This is uh, Congressman uh, Hank Johnson from Georgia. Aware of the fact that things can be planted on people, things can be planted in places uh, and then discovered conveniently. Okay, let's just let me make sure I've got my timeline correct here. So let's 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 roll with his theory for a second. Okay, so in order for these documents to have been planted, let's so the timeline as I understand it is in early August, the week before Mar-a-Lago was raided and anyone had ever talked about top secret documents being anywhere, the week before that happened, these documents were discovered at Biden's house. Is that correct? Is that your understanding of of the timeline? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, and they, so now nobody discloses this until the week before the midterms. Right, that's when it's reported, but not to the public. To Joe Biden's lawyer, right? And then in January, the public gets to be informed of this. So that that the the theory here is that they planted these before anyone had ever talked about top secret documents with Trump. That makes no sense. That is the most asinine thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Out of the liberal media in the past month. I mean, obviously, there's been bigger. Well, the time, it, it's the idea that the doc, well, it's, he's not the only one. Some ladies on The View actually postulated the idea that they could have been planted. Of course he, they could have been planted, but why would you plant them? In, if you're going to plant them, plant them after, at least plant them after the Trump no, raid. No one was even thinking about this. That, that's impossible. Now, Noam, you've been a news guy for a while. Let me ask you a question about this. Just, And I realize we're crossing the line here between, uh, and I'm asking you your opinion. So, And it's okay for news people to have opinions. Of course. Do you think this story has legs? That's what I want to know. This story, I think it does. But i got to be honest with you. I could care less that either Donald Trump or Joe Biden has classified documents in their house. My guess is Abraham Lincoln probably brought classified documents home to his house. So why we all we're all up in a mess about this? Who cares? Let's move on. 
So you just well, and that would be a fine point if they weren't trying to imprison Trump over this exact matter. No, nothing's going to happen. You know how this works. They're just, you know, smacking them around. They'll smack around Joe Biden and nothing will happen. This is the way it always works, right? These <laughs> will be investigation after investigation. The only people who lose out are the American people who... These lawmakers should be working on other things, but they get preoccupied with nonsense about classified documents. I'm sure if you and I, if all the three of us got a look at these classified documents, <laughs> there'd be nothing interesting about them at all. That's my guess. Well, I don't know about that, see, because I... It, He's it, probably right. I don't know, because they could... Maybe we could... Maybe maybe there's something in there about Ukraine or... Yeah. Alzheimer's. Here's the argument, right? So you, I can make both arguments for you, right? One is that Hunter Biden got these documents and sold them to China, right? So that'll oh, be the I argument. I don't believe that. Right? Then And then Donald Trump, they'll say he sold it for something as well, that he had something going on in Russia and he gave it to the Russians. And you know all of it is just complete nonsense. <sighs> if they were planted, they didn't play their hand very well. They could have done a much, much better job at the timing of the leaks and the this and the that. I mean, it just, to me, it just it, well, it makes I, no sense. I saw a story this morning that said Joe Biden's presidency is in peril. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's been in peril since he walked in there, but nobody cares. <laughs> Give me a break. No, his presidency is not in peril over this. This will be in the headlines for a few weeks, maybe a few months. But, I mean, look, Hillary Clinton had classified documents. What happened with that? James Comey said, oh, she, yeah, she had classified documents, but she didn't mean it. She misused the But there was never any intent, so never mind. I don't ex- No, I think you got this one right. I don't think we can expect anything major except a few headlines coming in for the next maybe few weeks and months, and then after that it goes into Never Never Land. Yeah, we'll find another scandal to talk about. Yeah, there's always one. I want to know if you guys heard. Stay there, Norm. I want to know if you heard about this one, because I want to get people's reaction to this one. In Missouri, did you hear what happened in the Missouri House yesterday? They came up with a dress code, and women in Missouri that serve in the legislature are not allowed to show their arms. (laughs) Come on. I'm not kidding you. (laughs) I'm not kidding (laughs) Really? I like that. I, I read that story, really? and I like that because I went to, for my birthday, I went to the fancy, one of the fanciest steakhouses in town, and there's people just wearing T-shirts and flip-flops, and I'm like, you know, what, what kind of society are we living in at this point? There have to be places where you need to dress up. There need to, I, I'm totally on board with the Missouri House. What are these people? Up. Are they the Taliban? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds they- like it. So women. Now notice, they didn't say anything about men. Because the men are already dressed up. Okay, so the men are dressed up. But women have to wear dress skirts or slacks worn with a blazer or sweater. And they have to wear appropriate dress shoes or boots. Maybe the women in the Missouri House are really hot and the men don't want to be distracted by it. You ever think of that? Do you realize how misogynistic that is? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I sound like they, you. And they passed it, or it was just uh, up for a vote. They passed it, and wow. the Democrat, the Democrats are having a cow. This is a they're having a cow. They can't. This is, there is outrage that women now have to cover themselves in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what's going to happen is one of these women is going to challenge. I, I would, and you show up in a skirt it and was a sleeveless a, dress and see what it they was do. A woman, it was a woman that introduced the legislation and that got it through. Oh, God. 
Yeah. <laughs> By the way, no, here's something else. Let me get your let me get your on this one. Uh the Brian Moynihan of the Bank of America says that we expect a we should all expect a mild recession. And we better to start preparing for for it right now. You hear anything about this? A constant. Are we going to have a recession? You know, I listen to Larry Kudlow, who comes on after you. Yep. And for sure, he's on the conservative side, right? He worked in the Trump White House. But he was actually complimentary of what the Fed had done so far in terms of raising the interest rates. Because he said, hey, it's kind of worked. Inflation has eased a little bit. and then, But then he said they need to back off now and let the economy do what it's going to do in 2023. But... He said so far, he said it seems to be working. So maybe maybe we won't get that recession. Huh. Okay. Do you have a gas stove? I do. Do you like it? I love. I, yeah, I hate electric stoves. You can't cook well with an electric. At least that's been my experience. The one time I lived in a place with an electric stove, I'd always burn things. I wasn't sure how to cook them. Gas is, it, gas is what it's all about. Shame on you. (laughs) (laughs) New York Times this morning, Farid Manju, your gas stove may be killing you. And how much should you worry? You should worry a lot. Well, no, he doesn't say you should worry a lot. I just said that. The the, the natural gas-powered appliances in your home may be slowly killing you. No, they may be killing you. And they may be killing everyone you love. So not only are you going suicidal by having a gas stove, but you're putting other people's lives in danger with your gas stove. (laughs) Now, don't you feel embarrassed? Don't you feel ashamed of yourself? Your gas stove could be killing the ones that you love. (laughs) I'm going to go to Sears today and change change out my gas stove. Isn't it true that New York is no longer allowing gas hookups in new construction? No, it's not totally. And that was a story that was floated out there. It's just not true. Really? Yeah, you can put. Yeah, a gas Kathy Hochul says she wants to. That's the real story. Yeah, Kathy Hochul's she's playing with it. That's not the total story. The, the truth Tell is, me. is if you want a gas stove today, you can get one. No one's going to stop you. No, he's going to stop you a month from now or a year from now. Mm-hmm. It's suggested, right? If you want to read all that information and then make the decision that you don't want a gas stove, go for it. They're, there's no, they're not going to stop you from that, making that happen. Okay, what news story? What, what news segment would be a good segment without sex? <laughs> None. Here we go. Here we go, uh, Scott. You may want to pay attention to this one, especially you. Professor tells students to watch gay or lesbian porn so that they can learn how to be bisexual. Penn State professor Sam Richards challenged straight students in his sociology class to watch gay or lesbian pornography to discover a new side to their sexuality. If you're straight, watch gay or lesbian porn and see how quickly you feel aroused, he said. And you can't control that. You'll realize that, oh, D. I can be sexualized by people who are like me. We are all to some level non-binary, says the professor. Um, this is why, at, why do I need to pay attention to that? I don't know. <laughs> you say I need to watch gay porn because I'm going to. I'm just discover. saying. This is this is at Penn State University, and I don't know. Back when I went to college, professors didn't say these kind of things to their students. 
I have a kid in college. I'll have to ask him if that kind of nonsense is going on. I, my, it sounds like maybe just between the three of us that this professor maybe is getting his rocks off by showing porn to his students in his classroom. That's a good theory. I just don't know if I were paying for this in college whether I would be happy. If I were paying for the college for my kids, whether I'd be happy with this. I'd rather doubt it. I mean, I think that I thought we were supposed to not see. I'm confused. I thought that if you brought up this kind of thing, you could get sued for sexual harassment. Well, I also thought you were supposed to have already decided this by the time you were three years old. So I don't know why we need to even be talking about it in college anymore. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, okay. That's the goodies in that stack. Now we can get into the deeper political news. No, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's a, a blast. We'd love to do more of it, so we're going to absolutely do more of it. Meanwhile, um, when you go home, tell all of those women around you to put on their blazers and don't show their arms because that's not permitted anymore. Yeah, that'll go over well in my household, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scott, tell your wife that, too. Tell her, because you're the guy that likes this, Scott. Tell her no bare arms permitted. You want her dressed up properly. She's the one that wears sweaters in the summer. I don't need to tell her. Oh, okay. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurvy, coming back. More of your calls, more news when we get back. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. It is Saturday morning. Some of us are just coming in from Saturday night, Friday night. That is the voice of Dakota Staten. Anyway, that's one of the songs that my mama used to play. And I grew up loving this album. It's called The Late Late Show. The artist is Dakota Staten. And she lived in New York. I don't know whether she's still in New York. She actually called into the show one day. This was a this is a very famous album on Capitol Records back in the day. Dakota Staten, Late Late Show. Let's head back to the telephones. And uh, let's talk to Frank in Staten Island. Frank, welcome. Thank you for holding. Hello, Frank. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. How are you? How are you, you doing, uh, James? Uh, yeah, I want to talk about music. Uh, very sad that Jeff Beck had died uh, this week, uh, as well as some other people. A guy named Frank Wyatt, who was in a progressive rock band called Happy the Man, uh, you know, a band that never got like too, too much uh, press as an American rock band, but talking about, like, the talent of, of Jeff Beck, you know, he's in a, cl- a kind of class of guys that, like, 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 uh, uh, like Alan Holdsworth, 
uh, and uh, Guthrie Golden, you know, you know people like that. Uh, kind of, and also like the bass players, like Jaco Pistorius. I know Jaco, you know, came first. He changed the instrument. He played, he played fretless. But my guy is Stanley Clark uh, oh. in a lot of ways. And I think, I think when you have these guys who don't have a long enough, you know, when they die young, and they don't have a long enough uh, career, yeah, they, they were legends at the beginning, like Hendrix and Pistorius. They're legends. But then you, but the guys who who take their style. And not just imitate, but they expand on the style. Now, people are using words that duplicate and imitate. I like the word expand. A guy like Alex Delightson of Rush, he expands on what on what Jimi Hendrix did. I uh, saw Stanley Rush. Expanded. I saw Rush. Omar Hakim played with them at the Taylor Hawkins Memorial, among the other groups he played at. And I'm going to tell you something. Rush blew me totally. 100% away. It was one of the greatest live performances I have ever seen in my life. Their musicianship was beyond. You know who else kicked for ACDC? Rocked the freaking house. Of course, the Foo Fighters kicked butt too. And, and what can you say? I mean, the Foo Fighters are just uh, the Foo Fighters are the Foo Fighters. They, I think they're the number one rock and roll band in the world right now, and with good reason. Um, they are among at least the top one to three rock bands in the world. I think they are the top grossing rock band in the world. But uh, you're talking about musicians on a level that most musicians want to get to, and these guys are there, and they are just amazing. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a different style. Like, okay, you know what? It's like... I remember like the way 2020 began. 2020 was going to be the year of COVID. But who knew that in January of 2020 would be the death of Neil Peart, the drummer of Rush? Right. That's when right. the whole year went to hell. You know, and also Lyle Mays died that year. Lyle Mays, someone, and, 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 and John Prine. I mean, it went downhill that whole year. And it all started like when, when uh, with Neil Peart. Neil Peart, okay, now he always said his favorite drummers were people like like the guy in Deep Purple or Ginger Baker or people like that. But then when Neil Peart became a legend, you got the drummers of today, like like Portnoy and Taylor Hawkins, who sadly passed away. They loved, loved Neil Peart. You know, it's the, and, and it's not about, imi- they could imitate Neil Peart's drum, drum licks. They have the talent to do that. Um, but yeah, they can't duplicate, but they can expand, you know, the, on, on what the great guys have done. Neil Peart, you know, he did have a good long enough career as a, that we could call him one of the greatest drummers of all time. I agree with that. Frank, thank you so much for the call. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Mike, thank you for waiting. Hey, Bo, good morning. I was just looking at a website and it says uh, on Fashion Magazine from 2018, it's bare shoulders are unprofessional. So maybe that's what the Missouri uh, State House was looking at when they when they passed that law. Uh, apparently it sends uh, some kind of subliminal sexual message. This is, this is a magazine. You can Google it and look it up. You know. But yeah. uh, the reason I called in was, was, was about the music scene. And uh, I, I grew up in the Philippines. I've called them before. I'm, I'm, uh, I used to be a journalist back in the day. And uh, so, so I used to cover a lot of the stories around Angeles City in the Philippines and uh, Subic Bay, Longapo City. And I've they had these, wonder, these wonderful bands. Well, you probably know. You go into any of the bars or the hotels or whatever, 
in those places. You can give these people a CD or a tape in the morning, come back that night. They will be able to play almost, not quite perfect, but almost perfect, all the songs on that CD in many instances. And that's the thing with, uh, with uh, you know, the, the imitators, as you correctly put it. These uh, hotel bands, you find them all over the world, all over the Middle East, even here in the States, on the cruise ships, wherever. You know, the Filipino singers, they're like uh, natural mimics. You know, they don't even need sheet music. They can go in. And the most classic example well, is... Well, that's because... Hold on one Indiana. second. Because you know one thing that I really loved about being in uh, my time in the Philippines? Um, karaoke is a family pastime. Karaoke machines and karaoke uh, as... This is what people do when they have parties. They every they bring the karaoke machines. Everybody sings karaoke. They have um and they have contests. And you're right. Whenever you go, even if you go to the department stores, the big department stores in um around Manila, for instance, the SM Mall, which is one of the largest malls in the world, SM Mall and all that, you see the live performances are everywhere. Everywhere. It's like music is almost a national pastime. It is so ingrained in the culture. And for people that love music, if you've never been to this part of the world, it's amazing. Because in Subic Bay, I was in Subic Bay. And again, you go to the malls, you go out, people are having live events. Um, they had, it's funny to see a Filipina uh, gals and girls and, and cowboy duds, and they're doing country music or they're doing R&B or they're doing rock. In fact, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, when uh, Steve Perry left Journey, um, uh, um, not Journey, uh, yeah, yeah, Journey. When Steve Perry left Journey, the singer they have now is a Filipino. So Arnold P- Pineda. And he's great. Yeah, so go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and Arnell was somebody we used to watch because I used to work at a TV station with Channel 2 in Manila. And uh, they actually used to have these uh, karaoke contests, you know, on, on TV. Do you know that we as broadcasters, as, as reporters at that TV station, had to take singing lessons? So part of our job description was to go to these clubs at night and join in on bands on stage. They wanted us to, you know, be more part of the people and do what everybody else did. So they would make us go out and sing and mix and mingle. And, and I've sung with Ar- Arnell's band. I don't know if he was still there at the time. But but these guys could, could mimic everything. And But just like you accurately described, the accent just isn't there. He doesn't sound exactly like Steve Perry, but he has a beautiful voice and sounds almost like him. And it is, in fact, you know what they say, imitation, the greatest form of flattery. It's a lot of flattery on the part of Arnell and guys like him, all these Filipino musicians and other musicians who can mimic and copy, you know, from all around the world. Wow. Great call, Mike. I'm so excited to have so many people calling in about music this morning. Thank you. I appreciate the call very much. Chris in the Catskills, welcome. How are you? Hey, good morning, Bo. Uh, First concert I ever saw, 13 years old, very liberal Republican parents let me see. Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz band with Randy Rhodes on guitar in Poughkeepsie, New York. Second concert he ever did with his new band in 1981. He played at the Ritz in New York City the night before. And then within the next two months, I saw Blue Oyster Cult and Molly Hatchet with Motorhead. Those were my first three shows. Next time I went to the doctor and he did my annual physical, he saw hearing damage. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm laughing. It's not funny. But that... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do have to. In fact, you know, a lot of people, when they go to some rock concerts now, they actually wear a little bit of a noise canceling so that they can protect their ears from the amplification. It is so true. Wow, great memories. I wonder what, what is it? Let me ask you one question, Chris. You've been a veteran of music concert. If I had to say to you, what is the best concert that you ever attended? Which one is it? That's funny. You read my mind because I was going to try and get in a comment. Um, I used to see a lot of live shows in the 80s when I was young, a little bit in the 90s, and I was going to bring up the point. The best three musicians, I would say, where the music sounds just like it does on the album, I would have to say The Who. I saw them at the Meadowlands in 89. Neil Young, I saw him in 1987 at Saratoga Performing Arts Center. And Porno for Pyros, I saw at Holmden Bank Center in New Jersey. And then Stevie Winwood at Woodstock 94. Those are the four best musicians where live they sounded like just off the album. Two great documentary films was the Alanis Morissette film because Taylor Hawkins, she chose him as her drummer for that tour on her album. That was the second greatest album. I saw that film with my mom, and then she died nine days later. I saw it at a drive-in with the Woodstock Film Festival in our car in the parking lot of IBM. It was was a double feature, but that that film has uh, uh, a lot of she, she died unexpectedly. And then did you ever see the film It Might Get Loud? 2009, it's about Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White from The White Stripes. And the three of them get together for like a two-hour documentary film, and they talk about what the guitar means to them, and it chronicles their life history of being musicians. And they all get together in Jimmy Page's house outside of London, and they interact, and it's all put on film. It's a really cool film back from 2009. What's the name of it again? It might get loud. It might get loud. I'll have to look it up. I have not seen it, and thank you for bringing it to my attention. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, we're coming back. More of your calls. And, yeah, we're going to talk about more news stuff, but we're going to have some fun today, too. That's the kind of day it is. James Golden, Bo Snurley with you here Saturday morning. Join our radio extravaganza. We'll be right back. When you cuddle up and hold me tight, stars up, but they seem to. Knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. A C D ACDC brings us back on WABC.
There's a new caucus coming to Congress. You know, we have so many different caucuses. We have the the Freedom Caucus, the Republican Study Group, the Congressional Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, the this caucus, the that caucus. Well, a Republican in the House of Representatives is going to be forming a new caucus to take on wokeness. It's going to be called the Anti-Woke Caucus. And supposedly the mission is to push back on uh, wokeness tyranny in schools, in the military, government, and that's what the mission is. So like to see how well that is going to be attended. The White House has weighed in on another matter. They are praising uh, Senator Maria Cantwell, the Democrat from Washington, and Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers. They are now working together to set clear limits on how big tech uses, collects, and shares your personal data. And yeah, that's all well and good. I want to know what they're going to do. The Twitter files are continuing to be, to be released. We see more and more. In fact, there's a story today about how Adam Schiff was trying to suppress a satirical uh, parody of, of Joe Biden that he didn't like. He didn't like the humor, the Democrats and the DNC. So they were urging the folks over at Twitter back then when the FBI and Twitter were colluding with each other to suppress voices that they didn't like to get rid of that. This is clearly, clearly something that should be investigated by Republicans in the House, but more than investigated, even though Twitter is now in Elon Musk's hands. What about Facebook? What about TikTok? What about these other places? And how deep is the involvement of government in suppressing? And when are we going to get to the bottom of the suppression of information surrounding COVID? There was a conservative that was kicked out of up of the conservative party in the UK because his crime was that he said the misinformation surrounding the vaccines were the biggest scandal in humanity since the Holocaust. They kicked him out of the conservative party over in the UK. But the UK is also on BBC starting to air now programming about the vaccines and the side effects that people are experiencing with the vaccines. So there's a lot bubbling up over in the UK. We need to have some of this stuff bubble up here, okay? Because there's so much information that is happening underground in the United States. The frontline doctors, the frontline nurses, they are building, it's almost like a parallel universe in medicine, talking about the things that, they are experiencing and that patients here in the United States are experiencing. But you do not see this reflected on the news. You don't receive, you don't see it reflected even now on social media to the extent that it's out there because people are still fearful that if they step forward with their own stories, the truth about what they see and their points of views on these things, that their careers are going to be over. So it's just now bubbling up, but we've got a long way to go. Let's head back to the telephones. John in Connecticut, thank you for waiting. Appreciate you. Hello? Hey, John. 
It's, uh, it's Don in Connecticut. I'm sorry, Don. Don, That's welcome. Right, James. Good morning. Um, to calling, I know your guess was eloquent, but calling Paul McCartney a pocket player <laughs> is quite the understatement of the year. Paul McCartney's multi-instrumentalist capabilities are are absolutely amazing. Yeah, turn down the radio in the background. You know, Paul does play piano. I know he plays piano. He plays bass. What else does he play? Oh, he plays strings, man. Uh, violin, cello, absolutely. And, of course, you know, piano and other things as well. And, uh, yeah, Paul, if you listen to some of his solo albums in the post-Beatle era, he plays every instrument on the records. Everything. Have you I mean, heard, by the way, have you heard the... Um, the Long and Winding Road, the version without the strings? I have not. It is insanely incredible. Um, <laughs> it is worthwhile. The Beatles have a record, and I think you can find it on um, iTunes. It's one, of the, uh, it's one of the collections that has like 100 songs in it of a lot of the session takes. And so you can get multiple, you can get multiple um, uh, recordings of the songs as they progress through the recording process. And on that record is it's everything is almost complete. The vocals are slightly different, by the way, and there are no strings on the long and winding road. I play that now more than I play the the one with the strings. It's just simply beautiful. There was just such genius in there, but that's why I mean it was just an understatement by your guest there, calling him a pocket player. Well, I mean Stanley Clark is a pocket player, you know. Um, John Entwistle was a superior pocket player, that sort of thing. But uh, but Paul McCartney is a multi instrumentalist, and calling him a bassist is comparing a Ferrari to a '72 Chevy Vega, you know. So. Okay, I appreciate the call. You know, speaking of Stanley Clark, we have Lopsy Lou. We played a little bit of it the other day. Let's use that, uh, Diego. It's the, uh, yeah, Lopsy Lou by Stanley Clark. That was one of the first introductions that I had to Stanley Clark. And he's just an amazing musician. I know we have that one. Um, you know, Paul McCartney and John Lennon, to me, are still, uh, when I think of songwriters and the, the top songwriters ever of our lifetimes or, to me, of the last, hundred years, Lennon and McCartney. I mean, who cannot? Those guys, it's magic. And not just the playing, the songwriting from them. It's just, it's incredible. Let us go to Tony in Clifton, New Jersey. Hello, Tony. How are you this morning? Hello, darling. How are you, James? Good, thank you. So I remember... Um, when I was in my um, years listening to the Beatles, and we were we were at a party, and they had a band, a local band, and they played "Hey Dude," and we we were in a huge basement. It was amazing, and we we had never you know heard it that up close, and we were all amazed. So my point is that. The, the gentleman and his group were able to just mesmerize us with their rendition or their replication. But the fact of the matter is, is much like going for an Italian meal. I can go for a meal and they can replicate 
the dish, but my taste will know what what's the good meal. It's the same when you're listening to music. If you have an ear for music, you, you can better, or if you're more of an avid listener, you can determine who has the talent and who's just good at replicating. So I, I just wanted to bring that analogy to you. You know, it's the ear, it's the taste bud. It's not just the replicating. Thank you, Tony. I do appreciate that. And believe me, I get exactly what you're saying. Okay, and that's one of the things that I love about, you know, let's face facts, folks. People do not hear the same. You know, you two people can listen to a record at the same time and hear completely different things. And I know this because I sit with other people and I'm like, hey, did you just hear that? No. What? It depends on, and I'm sure, Diego, you experienced that, right? I mean, you your ear is tuned to hear different things because you're a musician and you you listen to music. I'm not saying better. The word better doesn't come into it. But you listen to things differently than someone who just listens casually. You are listening for and trying to catch all of the nuances in it and it's a little bit of a different listening experience yeah of course and i've also um um not everyone has done this either but uh, i've also studied audio and uh studied audio production um i do production on all my records and um yeah when i listen to um i kind of trained it's all about training really you you listen to to another person's record you see what it, they did with uh effects and stuff and you you hear that and uh it it becomes a, a whole nother dimension of music right. listening. The production, the yeah. production, listening to the production of it. And I love that. I mean, there are records, when you say that it triggers me, because there are records, for instance, I'll just give you a quick aside, it means nothing. The best I have ever heard strings recorded on contemporary music, the best, was on the soundtrack for Shaft with Isaac Hayes. The way that they captured, and it was captured on a soundstage, the way that they captured the strings on that recording to me is almost unique to the way that I've heard strings captured in contemporary music anywhere else. And as soon as you said that, it triggered that. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens. So absolutely. Let's go to Greg in Vernon, New Jersey. How are you, Greg? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I just want to really make two quick points. You can Google Albert King and Stevie Ray Vaughan in session. And you can hear these two great musicians playing the same song, but Albert King plays Matchbox like nobody can play Matchbox. And Stevie Ray Vaughan is an unbelievable guitarist. Note for note, he's like right there, but Albert King just, it's his song. There's a complete difference there, but you can't do, you can duplicate. Like that woman said with the meals, you know, a, a, a spaghetti and meatballs can taste like 10 different ways. You know, and, and you can't really compare. Uh, but the the other point, uh, this uh, these documents that we're finding in uh, Biden's, you know, garages in his basement up in the attic, it's not so much about what we're finding, but what about all all the documents that were taken by people that shouldn't have had the documents? Biden is in bed with the Chinese Communist Party so much, so deep. He had a, a, an office in uh, Penn State. For what reason? The guy's a moron. Why, why, why would he have an office in a college? He might as well have a, an office at McDonald's somewhere. But 
he that could have been just a pass through for the Chinese Communist Party to retrieve information that they want from our government. And I don't, I you know, Biden, I wouldn't put that past him, not a, not even a little bit. He's nothing but a slimy thief and a liar. That's exactly Ooh. what he is. And he, and he sold out our country in a million different ways. And we don't even know the stuff that's missing that that he had. And we'll never find that out. Wow. Well, my friend, thank you. I appreciate the call. And I think you are uh, uh, popping on all cylinders this morning. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, we're coming back. We'll be with you right after this is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza continues. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. The Bee Gees bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Hoping that your presence with us is indeed very pleasant this Saturday morning. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You know, all these years later, I never, ever, ever get tired of hearing this record. It's perfect. It's magic. And here is some absurdity to go along with your morning. Catholic charities is fighting a lower court ruling that challenged its status as a religious organization. This happens in Wisconsin. Catholic Charities has filed a petition with the Wisconsin Supreme Court after the organization was unable to receive religious unemployment benefits because an appeals court out there ruled that it wasn't primarily religious. So the court ruled Catholic Charities isn't religious. They're not a religious organization. (sighs) If you don't think that there is a war going on between 
the leftists in this country and organized religion, then I don't know. I don't know how much more open warfare the can how how much more openly they can make known that they are at war with organized religion. Now they have to go to the Wisconsin Supreme Court and argue that they shouldn't be penalized for serving all of those in need because they do not, you know, because they don't proselytize to everybody that they serve. But they're still a religious organization. This is just, it's insanity. It's insanity on parade. Let us go to Rick in Rockland. How are you, Rick? Hey, doing, James. Hey, listen, Biden think tank is an oxymoron, whereas Joe Biden is just a regular moron. Oh, let's not call the president of the United States name like moron. Let's not do that. Let's just <clears throat> say that he's intellectually challenged or something. But I look, appreciate it. What, is, what did you call originally to talk about? Uh, Michael Mann is from Penn State, and uh, Dr. Timothy Ball said, Michael Mann is at Penn State, but he should be in the state pen, which uh, Michael Mann... <laughs> this guy has jokes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Michael Mann. Michael Mann, you're talking about the global warming climate guy, the hockey stick guy, all these predictions was about global warming, none of which, by the way, you know, he and um, our very own Mark Stein who prayers are still up for Mark Stein. Mark Stein is recovering from not one, but two heart attacks. And that's why you haven't heard Mark Stein on our air recently, on our Tuesday. He was on with us every Tuesday. And Michael Mann is still involved with this lawsuit. This thing goes back about 10 years now with Mark Stein over Mark Stein's correct criticism over this hockey stick thing that he came up with with global warming. Anyway, go ahead. I interrupted you, Rick. Michael Mann lost. He was held in contempt of court in Canada because he would not produce his data for that fake hockey stick graph. Yeah, but this is this suit is going on in Washington D.C. They moved it out. Now he's he's filed in so it's in Washington. That's the one I'm talking about, and that suit is still on, ongoing. Go ahead. Anyway, I have all the data on that. Anytime you want any of the facts about the global warming scam, I'm the guy to come to. All right. So thank you so much. We do appreciate the call. Ina, Manhattan, welcome. You're on WABC. Good morning, Mr. Golden. How are you? I'm um good. I just want I just want to um comment on the music. I love music. And my my father was such was a such guy. And my mother used to sing us um the Tennessee Wars when she put us to bed. She put sing Tennessee Wars. That was I remember, and it made me. Right now, I'm thinking of her so bad. I miss her so much. Oh, darling, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, and that's what it triggers. It right. It brings it all back to you. And you said your dad was a satchel guy, Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. He also yeah. loved Lena. Lena Horn. He loved, He met Lena on in person over here, and. But I, I like the Rolling Stone with, with Mince Jagger and many more, many, many more bands. And 
Miles Davis is good, too. I love Miles Davis. Huh? Miles Davis? Now you're moving into, oh, don't get me started. Miles Davis, of course, the great. the only, And Miles Davis was quite the artist, too, and quite the dresser, quite the fashion statement. Miles Davis was incredible. But I always have to say, because I have, like, a lot of jazz friends that are, like, you know, the jazz elite crowd. And there was Miles Davis, Miles Davis to me, Miles Davis, Miles Davis. I like Clifford Brown. I like Miles Davis. I like those guys. But my favorite, and, and this is, again, personal taste, my favorite trumpet, flugelhorn, is Freddie Hubbard. To me, there's nobody, and I love Miles. Don't get me wrong. Dizzy Gillespie, all of them, love them. But for me, it's Freddie Hubbard. Because Freddie, I don't know, there's something about the way that Freddie Hubbard plays, it just speaks to me. And I love him. So thank you, Anna. And and what a great memory of your mom singing the Tennessee Waltz to you. She's as so you beautiful. She has long ear, nice looking and everything. Very nice, yes. Okay, what a great you memory. have a nice day. And thank you for your your service. You you know, your program. You so you so well knowledge and educated. Every topic you touch, it's it's good. And oh, I, and you. I want to shout out to Mr. Um, the, the Speaker of the House, I care. Kevin I, I, McCarthy. So Kevin proud. McCarthy. Yes, I'm so proud of him. I, I listened to the until I fall asleep. I didn't stop until it finished. And I was glad that he's in there because it's got to be a change. It's got to be a change. Things are so bad now. So you have Thank a nice you. weekend and thanks for your program. Thank you, darling. We'll be back with Hour 3. Rhonda's going to join us at some point in Hour 3. And we are going to talk about truth. In fact, you know what? Let's do that near the top. Because I want to talk about briefly this George Santos thing. And we more of your calls. If you're on hold, stay on hold. We're going to come with you. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here on WABC Talk Radio 77, heading into hour three of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. We're coming right back. A.K.A. Bose Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to hour number three. Bose Nerdly, James Golden here with you. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. Joe will grab your calls. Thank you, Joe. And America's small caffeinated mom is going to join us shortly. We've been talking about George Santos all week. If you heard Norm, uh, top of the hour news, listen, this whole George Santos thing is not going away. Not just yet. Calls for his resignation. He's a liar. He's got to go. In fact, there's a story today, somebody unearthed film of him at some event many years ago claiming his name was somebody Devolver. I mean, (laughs) but think about it. No, no, seriously, think about this. If you were going to step up and make a political statement somewhere and people are recording it, would you use your real name? The way people are trolling you, doxing you, threatening your, your livelihood, making personal threats to these leftists, 
I don't blame anybody for trying to hide their, their last name in public. But this idea that Santos is somehow the world's biggest liar, I will remind you, I've been reminding people of this all week long. When Bill Clinton played cigar with the intern, do you know what I'm talking about, Diego? Yes, I do. Joe, do you know what I'm talking about with the... the, Not off the top of my head. You don't. You're young. Let me explain to you what happened here in just so many words. Try to not get so graphic with it. There was a young intern. Her name was Monica Lewinsky. And uh, yes, I remember now. Okay. Do you remember with the cigar? The cigar detail? No. Mm. Well, what do you think Bill Clinton did with the cigar and Monica? Never mind, Joe. It's, it's a oh, family Lord. show. Is this going where you, I think it's going? It, it went where you think it went. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then there were all sorts of oral things happening in the Oval Office. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then Bill Clinton came out, and he shook that bony finger of his at America and said, now listen, now you listen. I did not have sex with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, and I have to get back to work for the American people. And And all the Democrats said, okay, okay. It turns out he did have sex with that woman, Monica Lewinsky, with cigars, with the <clears throat> the term Lewinsky is now used when people say someone gave someone a Lewinsky. You can figure that out, okay? Um and then and then he left evidence on her dress. DNA evidence is the nice way to say it, on the blue dress. And so he lied. And what did Democrats tell us? They told us, yes, thank you, Derek just texted me. Bill Clinton turned Monica into a humidor. That is a good way to put it. Now, what did Democrats do? Republicans were beside themselves. And the Democrats told us, it really doesn't matter. His character doesn't matter. As long as he can do the job that the American people sent him to Washington to do. What he did with Ms. Lewinsky is between Bill and his wife. If his wife is okay with it, why shouldn't you be? And we were all told to shut up. Stop talking about the lies. Stop talking about his None of that stuff, character, didn't matter anymore. Bob Dole, poor poor old Bob Dole. Bob Dole ran for president against Bill Clinton, and he just kept saying, where is the outrage? Where is the outrage? The outrage was gone. Nobody cared. Then when we went to Bush, Democrats sort of cared about the truth when it came to Iraq. You know, no weapons of mass destruction, and they had a cow about that. But, you know, whatever. Then came the Obama years. 
And during the Obama years, nobody cared about truth anymore either. It was like the truth went out the window. When Donald Trump came into office, all of a sudden the left started talking about truth again. Donald Trump said this without evidence. Donald Trump said that without evidence. Donald Trump falsely said this. That's the way they started reporting stuff. And by the way, when liberals tell you something's false, that doesn't mean it's false. That only means it's false to them. Because even what we have learned in certain liberal publications, their own fact checkers lie about the fact checking that they're supposed to do. So the truth doesn't matter there either. So now we get to George Santos. No, I'm sorry, we don't get to him yet. Because now we have Joe Biden in the White House. Now there is no more president with a history of of telling falsehoods to the American people than Joe Biden. Joe Biden, it is widely known, has plagiarized speeches. Joe Biden has been telling falsehood about his his resume, his background, where he went to school, how he went to school, the countries he's visited. He comes up with so many whoppers that it's hard to even keep up with them. There has been no one that has been called out official in my lifetime for, for telling falsehoods about his own background than the current inhabitant of the White House. That would be Joe Biden. So now we get to old Santos. Now, George Santos has told lies. Let's be really straight about that. There's no question about it. It's not ambiguous. There's no doubt. He has lied. Not just once, multiple times. But now you have people protesting in Long Island. We're not going to be satisfied until he leaves office. And you've got all this hubbub from Democrats why he should resign. Really? He should resign the day after Biden resigns. If lying is what you're upset about, then let's start at the top and work our way down. And in fact, if we're going to start talking about politicians that lie, let's go through the entire Congress and see how many representatives would be left to represent the American people. All of this led me to question whether the truth is even important anymore. Which led me to the heartland of America. Which leads me to the voice of sanity from the heartland, from out there where good old American values seem to be, at least some days, alive and well, and to our very own small caffeinated mom, who's out there in the heartland raising boys that eat a lot with her husband of many years, and they're still deeply in love, and they're still that good salt of the earth America that we love to talk about, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. How are you? Good morning, Rhonda. 
Good morning, James. I'm caffeinating, and you know, for me, that's an all-day project, so I'm working on that. And by the way, I'm talking to you in my long sleeves, and there's a nod to our fellow Republicans in Missouri. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, where they make sure that women don't show their bare arms, because, oh, boy, that would be too dangerous. No blazer, but long sleeves. <laughs> the Taliban. I know it. Oh, I love this topic, James. This is such an important topic. I am so glad that you that you are looking at this. <clears throat> and your your program the other day actually uh, provoked a lot of thought on my part. And here's here's where I where it is. When we lose our love for truth, and that's individually, collectively. It starts individually, of course, but when we lose our love for truth, we open the door to a host of ills. Uh, It always starts small. You tell one little lie at a time, or you believe one little lie at a time. And over time, these lies that we are telling and the lies that we're believing, they grow in size, and actually, they metastasize. That's what I have seen until... We reach a point where of, of just full-on delusion, where boys can be girls, girls can be boys, fill in the blank, delusion. But it doesn't automatically jump there. It goes one little lie at a time. There has to be a solid objective standard of truth by which we can measure our lives and structure society. If there is no solid objective standard of truth, society and civilization will fall apart, and then nothing matters anymore. And incidentally, the lies that we believe have a tremendous amount of power over us. I mean, whether it's lies that you believe about yourself, about other people, about God, about life, lies will always in prison. I I know this because I've had to do the deep, hard work of uncovering lies that I have believed that have imprisoned me. And the antidote is always truth. It is always truth. That what what lies truth. imprisoned you, Rhonda? What, what are you talking about here? Okay, well, um, for instance, the lie that I had to be perfect, I had to get it right. That failure was not an option uh, in order to be accepted, loved, that kind of thing. That, that, those shackles are hard to break, but they can be broken with the truth. Lies that I'm not worth anything if I don't A, B, and C. I grew up in a very performance-based culture, and that's a killer. Uh, because then you're always falling short because the goalposts always move. Right. Wait so a minute. Wait, can... a, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So All right. I come from a performance-based culture, too. I work in one. If you don't perform, you know, you get the boot for somebody that can. Right? And so one of the things for achievers is you always set the goals for yourself. And you now you, you you may not be able to make all of those goals all at once, but you never stop trying. So what is the harm in having a performance or growing up in a performance-based environment where you're urged to perform, where you're urged to succeed, where you're urged to achieve? 
Well, the harm comes in if your personal value and worth are attached to that. Or for me growing up in a very religious community, whether you would, when you feel that God's approval is attached to it, that's the part I'm talking about. I'm not talking about achieving, shooting for excellence and setting goals for yourself. That is a separate thing. But if your personal value and worth are attached to it and you're depressed, if you can't make it, you, you just can hardly function, your self-worth is in the dumps, then that's a different thing. And when you attach, well, I'll, I'll just go deep here. If you attach God to that, uh, who has unconditional love, for each one of us. And if you feel, and I felt for years, James, that I had to earn his love and approval. And it it completely exhausted me. That was an exercise in failure and defeat. And so when I really learned for myself the truth that God loved me without limit or condition, it was not attached to my performance or lack thereof, it changed my life. And that's just one example. Mm-hmm. So where are we today with truth out there? Um, let, let's let's talk specific, and let's take a break first because the clock is true, and the clock says <laughs> I got to take a break. True, okay, and you better do it now. <laughs> Rhonda Shrock, America's okay. Small Caffeinated Mom, is with me. We're coming back. James Golden, aka Snurdy's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Stanley Clark brings us back. This is the first Stanley Clark record I ever heard, and I still <laughs> love it so much. It's called Lopsy Lou. An amazing bassist, an amazing musician. The one, the only, Stanley Clark. Let us get back to America's small caffeinated mom and... The small part, if you think small, meaning stature, you're dead wrong. What are you, like about five feet, four foot, 11 inches, uh, uh, three feet? No. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Five feet tall. You're five feet tall. Yeah. (laughs) And your boys tower over you. They tower over me. Funny little story, actually. When I uh, landed the column gig for seven years, I wrote Grounds for Insanity in a local newspaper. And I walked into the newspaper offices one day to meet the publisher for the first time. And he knew, of course, about my boys and my story. And he looked at me with a surprise, a look of surprise on his face. And he said, you know, 
with your four boys, I thought you would look like this. And he held his arms out real wide, like I would be a barrel shape. He said, but I guess you can keep control. And I looked him in the eye and I said, I can keep control. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love now, it too. So. I tasked you the other day, I asked you to do some homework. And, and, and thank you for being so willing. Um, because when this whole thing first came up, with George Santos and all these cries, he's got to go. He's a liar. He's like him looking like some of the president of the United States is a liar. So if we got rid of all the liars in Congress, Washington would be a ghost town. If we got rid of all the liars in the lobbyist community and, and Congress and all of the staffers that lie and, and, and people in communications business that lie to us on a daily basis, the people in the media, the whole, the whole swamp would, would be gone almost be a handful of people running that city. Why is all this fuss over one liar? And besides, as far as the public is concerned, the American public is concerned, I don't think most people in the American public care whether people tell them the truth anymore. They're so used to hearing lies. It's just become the new normal. Lying is the new normal. And I asked you, I said, Rhonda, can you put together an essay for me on the importance of truth as you see it? Because I wanted to hear your thoughts. What would you come up with? Well, okay, so I'll read it to you. Um, I was raised on the Kansas Plains. My great-grandfather arrived on those windswept plains as an infant in a covered wagon. They were salt-of-the-earth folks, these kin of mine, wheat farmers, scratching a humble existence from prairie soil. In the summer, my siblings and I watched as ordinary fields turned into golden seas of grain kissed by the sun, tossed about at the mercy of the wind. At harvest time, we rode in Grandpa's combine and chewed wheat till it turned into gum. We received our formal education in a little country school. Reading, writing, arithmetic, history, science, and art, we learned them all. Vocational training for us meant learning how to work. Despite well-organized campaigns involving letters written in Crayola to the Labor Commission, we were forced to become responsible, diligent people capable of holding jobs, and keeping bosses happy. Our spiritual training took place in a small country church. On hard wooden pews, we squirmed our way through sermons and study school. We learned Bible verses, stories, and songs. We learned the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This, of course, was quickly forgotten when a sibling took the last cookie or yanked your braid, but still, we learned that there was right and there was wrong. We learned that character mattered. One of the cardinal sins in our childhood home was telling a lie. The wheels of justice may turn slowly everywhere else in the world, but not where we grew up. If one of us told a whopper, we'd set to praying like we were Billy Graham, asking the Almighty to keep the eye of Sauron from falling upon us. (laughs) It never worked. And that quick, we'd find ourselves at the bathroom sink, having a bar of ivory soap introduced to our tongues, molars, and uvulas. We'd burp soap bubbles for two days afterwards, but we did learn something important. It isn't good to lie. We learned that character mattered. All these years later, this is still the truth. Character does matter, and it isn't good to lie. Telling the truth and keeping our word will simplify so many things. It will show us who and what we are. We may not be able to get by anymore on a promise and a handshake, but our word ought to be exactly that good. When we love the truth, it will set us free. 
It will strengthen our homes, our cities, our states, and this country we love. The truth. You know, I didn't have a, I didn't have the same kind of upbringing you 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 had in some ways. I didn't get the, you know, we used to hear about that. I'll wash your mouth off with soap. You actually, you actually, no, you actually experienced this. Is that that's yes. what you're telling me? Yeah. You had, you had your mouth washed out with soap for lying. Oh yes, we did. Absolutely. I, pre- I think I would have preferred that to what I got. <laughs> Oh, you had the Board of Education applied to to uh, I, had the, I had the belt of education. <laughs> I had the I had the belt of education applied to me. And you know what? Uh, it didn't stop me either. I mean, what mm. what you know it didn't. I'm just I'm being honest. Okay. It didn't stop me. You know, I for a while I had to come to some really I went to church. I was in the choir. I knew the rules. And I, I, I was hard-headed, mm. and you know, I was one of those. The rules matter, but it's not expedient for me to be honest right now. So let me just do oh. this. And you know, that's such a good point, James. Uh, you bring up a really good point. When we protect other, or like our children, for instance, uh, and ourselves from the consequences of not dealing truthfully, uh, that has bad, bad results. When mm-hmm. we as a society don't allow our children anymore or other people, okay, so you're seeing this in your own state, right? Your criminals are not being forced to experience the consequences of their actions. And it has a deeply damaging effect on society and on an individual. So it sounds Absolutely. like what you're, you had to run into some hard things that brought you face to face with the truth, and apparently at some point you were ready to embrace it. Is that how it went? Yeah, it's like I had to actually, you know, sometimes you do things wrong and you know you're doing it wrong. Yes. And you do it anyway. And yes. I think that that is something, and I don't care, No, I used to get my butt kicked, okay? My parents were not having it, okay? Um, we grew up, we used to call my dad the general. Because he was, um, he was, he was, in spite of the fact he was the kindest man I ever met in my life, he was amazingly brilliant. He was my hero. He was all of that. He was a strict disciplinarian, and so was my mom. And I was something of a mischievous child. I wanted to explore things in my own mind and arrive at my, as I look back on it, the way I explain it to myself is, I was intellectually rebellious. I wanted to... Mm experience things on my own terms. Okay, yeah. so yes, I would get my butt whipped and I would do it again and get my butt whipped again and do it again. Until finally as an adult, it took me as an adult before I had to actually uh deal with the fact that I had let my own ethical standards for the truth slip. Yeah. And it was a hard realization, mm. and it was difficult. And after that, it was okay. Now, I, you just said it. I'm ready to embrace what I've known all along, yeah. that that there is this standard that you have to keep for yourself. Mm-hmm. And because if you don't do it, 
you're never going to really like the person that you are. That's right. Well, you know our oldest son's story. It was very much that way with him. Every time, you know, he went in his journey with addiction, every time we thought, surely this is his rock bottom, surely he will turn around now and choose a different way. And he would manage to find a new low. But there finally came a point where it was actually rock bottom for him. I mean, he had to face really hard consequences. And in his situation, some of those consequences will be with him for years. Now, the wonderful thing as faith-based people, you know, God may not spare us from the consequences of all of our choices, but when we embrace the truth, which he is, he walks through those consequences with us. And so as a mother, that gives me great comfort when I look at my son and his current journey. He does have consequences for those choices, but he will never go through them alone. And he, they are teaching him and guiding him on his path of redemption. Wonderful story. And the truth is the truth. And it is not relative. The truth Mm. is the truth. Rhonda, thank you for being with us. America's Small Caffeinated Mom. Thank you. We'll talk again. We sure will. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, your call is coming up here on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. knows politics and so much more a true connection to real new york on 77 wabc The Beatles bring us back on WABC. P.S. I love you. WABC Talk Radio 77. Hey, I just saw a text from Lisa. HBO's new Bee Gees documentary does more than just disco. So there's a, apparently an HBO documentary. I wasn't aware of this. Thank you, Lisa. On the Bee Gees. And apparently she says it's excellent. She also says that Irish spring soap was the worst for having your mouth washed out. Irish spring soap, that had a really heavy scent to it. I can't imagine having my mouth. Ooh, yo. Yeah. And, of course, I also had from my friend Joe, Joseph, who who told me, and, and he's in the fashion industry, and what he says is that uh, he couldn't help but text us. Miles Davis was a fashion icon. And it's amazing how the world of uh, music is influenced and how it influences fashion. And just look at the British invasion. And that did, that changed the way not only that Americans dressed, it changed everything. I I remember uh, I saw the Beatles like some of you did who are old enough to remember this guy, Ed Sullivan. Remember the Ed? Diego, you weren't around for Ed Sullivan. And and neither was Joe. Yeah. But I actually saw it. We used to sit down in front of the TV set and watch Ed Sullivan. And I remember the day that the Beatles did the Ed Sullivan show. I remember watching the Ed Sullivan show. And what was amazing about that is the next day, I was in elementary school, and the next day kids came in doing their best to dress like the Beatles. 
It was a profound influence, and it did influence American life from from then on. I, the Ed Sullivan Show was amazing. I I remember watching Sly and the Family Stone for the first time when I saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show, The Temptations, The Supremes. And then he would have, it was a great variety show. He would have the best musicians. He would have the hottest young musicians come out. He'd have the comedians. He'd have Otopo Jijo. And, and he, this guy with the puppet with Topo. I don't even remember what the act was, but I just remember Topo Jijo. And, uh, it was, it was, yeah, Ed Sullivan. But that, but, oh, you're absolutely right, Joseph. The, uh, fashion was influenced so heavily by the music. Let's head back to the telephones, shall we? Let's go to Rockland County and Adam. Adam, how are you? Hey, Bo. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was trying to get on with Derek, but that was a while ago. Uh, I wanted to weigh in on the music talk. And, uh, well, weigh in now. Derek is still out there listening. He tweeted me. I mean, he messaged me a while ago about um, Monica Lewinsky being uh, Bill Clinton's humidor, so he's still listening. <laughs> is he taking credit for that quote? Because I think that was Kurt Schlichter. I don't know whether he's taking credit for it, but it's still it's a good quote. No matter no matter who wrote it, we can still quote it. Yes, it can. And uh, well, and I I wanted to say on that topic about the music before, and I don't mean any disrespect to Derek or anybody else, um, but people who don't possess a talent for any particular thing will be easily impressed by other people who do. And um, so it takes talent to be able to play a musical instrument, but being able to play one does not make you an artist. And for me, when it comes to music, I'm less impressed by the musicians that can play the most notes per second than I am with those who can really speak to me through their instrument. And I think that the... What Derek was talking about was not wrong, but I think he was missing the point that music is an art. Mm. When you get into the complexities of music, it is amazing. You know, I remember I have learned so much from my friendship with Omar Hakim because he is world-class, a world-renowned musician, and he he's just amazing. One of the things that I remember he, he said to me, about creating grooves and all that. He says, it's not what you play. It's what you don't play. It's having the knowledge to not play sometimes or not try to fill something up, to leave the space, to leave the emptiness in it that also makes something and makes people respond to it. And it was, to me, as a musician, I understood what he was saying. It's profound, and it's absolutely true. Adam, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Tom in Woodbridge, how are you? Yes, good morning. Uh, rel- relatively well. I hope uh, you're doing the same. Uh, before I go into my comment, as always, I want to uh, propose solutions or at least a better understanding of how we got into the predicament we're in now. And once again, I'll recommend The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Talks about immigration, talks about CRT and all the other nonsense, left-wing nonsense. It's actually engulfing and literally destroying our nation. Pick up the book, Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Now, I want to speak uh, very briefly about immigration and the border. Now, 
Many people who are apologists for open borders will tell you that having a large immigrant population is beneficial for the economy. They could not be further off the mark because some people will say that, well, as long as immigrants are working, it's beneficial to the economy. And again, they cannot be more wrong because, number one, when immigrants are working and not paying taxes, they are taking a net drain out of the U.S. economy because they're benefiting from hardworking taxpaying citizens who are financing everything that they're getting in terms of entitlements that's being subsid- that's subsidizing their labor for the big corporations that want them here. And, and number two, much of what they do earn in the United States does not remain inside the United States in terms of the economy because much of what they do earn which they're not paying taxes on to begin with, is, is sent overseas to their home countries in the form of remittances. Remittances punch a huge hole into our balance of payments, which is fundamental to how a healthy economy gauges the amount of money coming into the economy and the amount of money being siphoned out of the GDP, gross domestic product, every year. Okay, Now, and perhaps third, And most importantly, one of the biggest reasons why wage levels for people who are not college graduates over the last 30 to 40 plus years have been stagnant and not going anywhere is because the pool of unskilled or semi-skilled labor is so large. So it's simple economics. If something is in finite supply, but the demand for, excuse me, yeah, uh, if something is in finite demand, but the supply for that thing keeps growing exponentially, what happens to the cost? It plunges like a rock in the pond. And that is the, that's the first uh, economic argument I want to make with regard to immigration. It is a net negative to the U.S. economy. It is not beneficial as the policy now stands. All right. You second. have said no, we don't have time for second. But we do have time to say thank you. That was a great, a great synopsis of the exact, and he is right to the letter, economic toll that illegal immigration brings with it to the United States. And if you want to look, for example, of where, com- where countries differ on this, all you have to do is go up north. Canada is very strict about the number of people that they allow to work in their country. And one of the things they will track you down, if you enter their country and you work illegally, they will track you down and deport you because they understand exactly what he was saying. Vito in Staten Island, thank you for waiting. Vito, what's on your mind? How are you, Mr. Gold? Yeah, just uh, before I I discuss my call for... uh, um, uh, George Santos is nothing but a distraction for what uh, Joe Biden has done criminally and continues to do criminally. But you mentioned the Foo Fighters earlier. I don't know if you've actually gone to a Foo Fighters concert, but I strongly recommend that you do go if you haven't. And anyone that's listening to this should go see them live. And especially if you I get General Mission ticket. I saw them live in London. I went over to London to see them for the Taylor Hawkins Memorial. It was awesome. They are one of the tightest bands I have ever seen in my life. Ever, ever. I mean, you know, they said Zeppelin was tight. I think, I think, I think this band was even is even more tight or tighter. Um, if, if possible, can I send Joe Biden a salute, an acrimony, uh, an acronym salute, please? I don't want to do that because I don't know where you're going with this. 
And I have really kind of standards on what we do here, so I'd rather not. But, Vito, I so appreciate the call. Thank you so much for joining us and for waiting. Mike in Jersey, you're up next, WABC. James, love the show. Great. As usual, last we talked, I was the retired pharmacist. We talked a lot about vaccines, and I appreciate the time you gave me. But I wanted to ask you, I'm not a big jazz person, but do you know Johnny Copeland? Does that ring a bell? Yes, Johnny Copeland's name rings a bell. I cannot say that I'm familiar with his music, though. Okay, he he's a friend of mine one day, way back, said to me, you got to go see this guy. So I'm not into jazz. We went into the city, and one of the liners that was there with him was a guy named Sugar Blue. Have you heard of him? I have not. Okay, I suggest you look him up and listen to his music. You will never hear anybody play a harmonica like that in your life. I mean, the guy, I walked out of there just jaw-dropped. It was absolutely amazing. So Sugar Blue, I don't know where he where he is these days, but you got to look him up. He is something else with that harmonica. You won't believe what you're hearing. Wow. Okay. Great recommendation. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for the call. We got to take a quick break. Coming back right after this. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, is on 77 WABC. War Tops bring us back a little Motown here. On WABC Talk Radio 77, Holland, Dozier, and Holland are the songwriters of this amazing song. Yeah, the shingling was uh, hot back when this one was going. Let us head back to the telephones, shall we? George in Rockland County. Welcome. You're on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Well, thank you for taking my calls, uh, Mr. Golden. Uh, You talked last uh, hour about uh, gas stoves. One thing which is really important is to many men, specifically women too, is uh, grilling. Uh, a lot of us grilling uh, are done gas. Uh, if they would take it away, this is a big, big deal as we get into the warm season here. Uh, nobody's touching it. Uh, yeah, well, guess what? Mm-hmm. You were wondering what there? Okay, I was wondering, okay, if that's a, qu- a request. If somebody can come uh, with... Uh, what's important to progressive and then go and uh, take it down, this would be an appropriate response to all this crazy uh, progressives. Yeah, well, you know what? The progressives are after your grills, too. Now, in California, they tried a few years ago to ban outdoor grills because they said that that was uh, largely responsible for global warming. Look, I remember as a kid growing up in New York, People used to burn the leaves in the fall. Well, it's been ages since we've seen that. And it was a beautiful smell. I got to tell you, the, the, 
the leaf burning. Oh, man, yeah, it just made you think of fall and Thanksgiving and all of that stuff. Hey, Scott, didn't you say that you you tracked down that whole gas stove thing in New I York? I did. It was um, it's New York City, not New York State, and it already happened. New York City banned uh, gas hookups in new construction starting in 2024, and they passed that on December 15th, 2021, before we were even talking about this. So in 2024, there will be no new gas, no new construction gas hookups. Yes. Uh, at December 31st, 2023 is the end of being able to put gas in your house. And then I think affordable housing starts in 2026 and schools and stuff starts in 2027. Yeah, they've already done this in the city. Good grief. And by the way, I remember five years ago crossing the Bay Bridge, and there was a giant banner outside San Francisco that said, wood smoke is secondhand smoke. To the, to the uh, Okay, okay, wood smoke is second. Yeah, because yeah, they wanted to ban the grills, too. Yeah, yeah, got real red in the face. So. Yeah, yep, okay. Steve in central New Jersey, welcome. You're on WABC Talk Radio 77. Oh, Mr. Bo James. Let me, I'll start with this George Santos thing, and I can wait on the, the Beatles too if we get there. But let's go with Santos. I, I'm not. I really cringe in people who play fast and loose with the truth. However, before we get to him and an ethics inquiry as to what lies he may have told, there's a lot more investigating Congress needs to do. And I'll just run through it quickly with you. Ready? Joe Biden needs to be brought up on impeachment inquiry for that crisis at the southern border. I said this on your show a year, a year and a half ago. I'm I'm glad others who are finally joining joining along. Impeachment inquiry, the crisis on the southern border, is violation of separation of powers with all the executive orders. Whether he's committed treason and bribery in his crime families, dealings with foreign governments, and yet how he mishandled classified documents. And I don't want to hear this. We don't have the votes in the Senate. You've got 26 Democrats that are up for re-election. If enough pressure is brought to bear, no, I'm not saying they'll, they'll vote to throw him out, but there'll be enough pressure after impeachment, he may just resign. And now for those who say Harris, well, then we get stuck with Harris. Uh-uh, not so fast. Galfrin's got some... Uh, Got some explaining to do, too. She was tasked with solving that problem at the southern border. She did nothing. Also, she should be investigated for helping to encourage and possibly fund the the riots during the summer of love. Remember that? All right. Let's go to the – I want to see the January 6th hearings continue. And Nancy Del Capo, ex-Capo, Nancy D'Alessandro Pelosi, the star witness, and why she refused – Trump's offer of the National Guard. That resulted in the senseless death of Ashley Babbitt, all right? And if her best excuse is the optics, <laughs> laugh her right off the stage and boot her out of Congress, all right? Then we can look into putting teeth into the act um, that says that you're not supposed to foment violence on Supreme Court justices. And that's, that brings Chuck U. Schumer right into it right there. His, his comments that I think led to violence or threats of violence against Brett Kavanaugh after the Supreme Court decision outlawing abortion. All right. So then let's continue. I I agree with you. Let's get to the origins of COVID. I've talked about this on your show. And let's bring the Fouch. Oh, I want to see the Fouch squirm. I really want to see him squirm, Mr. Bo James. But we can continue. There's a congresswoman. All right. Remember, she's alleged to have slept with her brother, not slept, to have married her brother. She's from Somalia. You would be talking about about Miss Miss Ilhan Omar who was kicked off of her committee post by Kevin McCarthy. Now, you've done a good job, Steve. I'm going to have to ask you to continue it because time is running, 
and Gracie My Gracie is holding on, and we are not going to leave without hearing her voice today. Gracie My Gracie My Gracie. Hi, darling. Oh, sweetheart, I love you. I've been listening. I haven't called because I really felt I couldn't add. But I have to tell you, the last caller and Frank. Now, if these two, I'm going to say ordinary people, understand everything so thoroughly, I want to know, I'm going to use an example, Mitch McConnell and Schumer, because we'll say they're the top bananas. If What, do they just love power? Do they just love money? Are they being, um, have they done things wrong and foreign governors or people are blackmailing them? How don't they understand what's wrong with this country? And let's bring it to food. I'm going to make it very easy. How are people going to concerts when eggs cost $5 a dozen and milk is almost $5 a gallon? That's what I have to say. And 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 I love the greatest birthday was this week, and thank you for mentioning it. The greatest birthday she's talking about, ladies and gentlemen, on the 12th of January was Rush Limbaugh's birthday, and people are still on social media remembering Rush, wishing him a happy birthday in heaven, and uh, remembering his contributions to this country, which should never be forgotten. And, of course, we open the show with the remembrance of Rush. And let me just, and thank you for bringing that up, Gracie, because let me say something to all of us. All of this week on social media, people have asked, and people have been asking this question, anytime anything politically happens that is of import, people say, I wonder what Rush would think about this. And I've been asked that question. I was interviewed um, by a few of my fellow broadcasters this week. And they asked the same question. I wonder what Rush would think, or what would your answer be? And I'll, I'll tell you what my answer is anytime someone asks me that question. What would Rush think about this? What would Rush think about that? In some cases, I kind of think I know, but I'm always hesitant to answer that question because during all the 30 years that I was with Rush, you could never predict what he'd say about anything. He had a unique mind. He was a unique thinker, and I mean thinker. He thought things through, and that's what he delivered to his audience every day for 33 years, a unique perspective on politics. But one thing was clear, and the one thing I do feel confident that he would say is because I've heard him say it over and over again, that we cannot give up on America, that this land is such an important nation to the world and to history because of our rugged individualism as a people, because of the American exceptionalism, which he believed in strongly, that we as an America live in an exceptional nation. It is not just another run-of-the-mill nation in history. This is an exceptional nation with exceptional people. And he used to talk about the American people, the people that make this country work, and you all in this audience are them, the people that make this country work and how we cannot give up. Now, this country faces some really difficult challenges. I look at things, Katie Hobbs this week, she's already starting with her legislative agenda, which is insanity on parade. You look at what happens in Michigan. You look at what 
Lori Lightfoot in Chicago decides she wants to give extra credit for kids who campaign for her. You look at what goes on in the city in terms of the crime that's running unchecked. Look at what's happening with the inflation. Look what's going on with this woke movement, this transgender movement that has now resulted in policies that are harming people. Sometimes you want to throw up your hands and give up. We cannot give up on what we know is right. And thank you for Rhonda reminding us the value of truth. I wish I had more time. I don't because time's up. What a great show today. Thank you, guys. All of you who contributed, those of you who didn't get on. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Rhonda. Thank you to Joe taking all the calls. Diego, Scott. And all of you who called in and all of you who listen, you are so appreciated. God bless each and every one of you and your families. We'll be back Monday for Bolsonaro's Rush Hour at 4 o'clock. See you then. Bye.